Welcome to Conservation Unfiltered, a podcast all about the North American model of conservation and your chance to dive into conversations about trends, research, and outdoor activities. It's time to get wild with the 2021 Conservation Media Award-winning host, Jason Creighton. Welcome back to the Conservation Unfiltered podcast presented by Conserve the Wild. I'm your host, Jason Creighton, and this is episode number 109, Does the Future Look Green? Today, I'm joined by Joel Jaeger, and we're going to be talking about green energy. Now, a little background about Joel. He studied political science at St. Olaf College and received a master's in energy resources and environment from the John Hopkins School of Advanced International Studies. Currently, he's a research associate at the World Resource Institute's Climate Program, where he leads their global research on green and inclusive recovery from COVID-19. So what does he do? It includes tracking green stimulus, evaluating job creation opportunities, and analyzing the lessons learned from green stimulus in 2008 and 2009. Doesn't seem like that long ago, but turns out it is. Today, we're going to be talking about what is green energy and why it's such a hot topic. We're also going to talk about what happens with materials when they reach their end of life and and recycling of some of these things and the expense of green energy as well. Is it worth that expense? And then, of course, we have to touch on what happens to people working in the gas, oil, and coal industries. So let's jump right in with Joel and see what he has to say about green energy. Before we keep going, a real quick question for you. Are you concerned with urban sprawl? Are you concerned with the threat of our increased human presence has put on wildlife and wild spaces? If so, an easy next step for you to try to help with this situation is to visit our Patreon page and become a monthly supporter. If you like this podcast, if you would like to help form a new nonprofit that helps combat and mitigate the effects of urbanization, visit patreon.com slash conserve the wild. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash conserve the wild. Go visit today and become a sponsor. On the line today, we have Joel. Joel, thanks for joining us. Um, uh, Thanks for joining me and talking about green energy and climate change. This is definitely a, a hot topic uh, in, you know, just sort of national news and everything. And it's even starting to uh, weave its way into the conservation world uh, with a lot of conservation organizations focusing on the impacts and, and things of that nature. So uh, thanks for coming on and talk about this. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Happy to be here, Jason. So let's, let's start out at the, the basement level. What is green energy? Great. So green energy, sometimes known as clean energy, uh, is going to be types of energy that are going that are essentially aren't emitting fossil fuels. Um, and the, mo- the, the kind of the, the 
ones that often spring to mind are solar energy from solar panels and wind energy from wind turbines. Um, and I would say it also incorporates um, uh, there's you know there are other forms like hydropower um, from you know from dammed up water going through um, turbines, and it also incorporates nuclear energy and nuclear energy. Though I'd say nuclear is a much more controversial type of clean energy because uh, it, uh, it it has still has some environment you know important environmental effects. Um, but uh, but yeah, so those those are the the main types of energy I think of. All right, so there is this big push for green energy, right? Like every every state, um, you know, uh, the Biden administration, they're they're pushing green energy, and it's sort of been building over the last couple of decades. Why is it so important, from your perspective, to develop more green energy and start getting away from the traditional fossil fuels that we've used for, you know, over a hundred years? Right. So um, there are multiple reasons. And um, I, I'd say climate change is one. Air pollution is another. Economics is a third. And energy security is a fourth. So uh, first, climate change. Um, we've learned quite a bit about how fossil fuel emissions contribute to global warming and other forms of climate change. Um, and um, basically by causing the greenhouse gas effect by, by trapping in heat in the Earth's atmosphere. And, uh, and this has basically already happened. There's already been more than a degree of warming in the last century uh, because of fossil fuel emissions. And that's just the tip of the iceberg there. Um, and, and so green energy like solar energy, like wind energy, don't emit these fossil fuel emissions. Um, Second, they also don't emit other types of pollutants um, like nitrous oxide or sulfur oxide. And, and this is more like what we kind of think of as traditional air pollution. Um, and, um, and, and that's the kind of stuff that, um, that causes asthma, causes um, all sorts of other respiratory problems and, um, and, and contributes to, you know, people actually die, you know, tens of thousands of people um, die prematurely because of air pollution every year due to, um, you know, lung diseases. Um, third is energy security. Uh, the fact is that the United States in many cases is very dependent on, um, on energy from around the world, from other countries, from the Middle East. Uh, and green energy could be a way to bring that uh, control back to the United States. Um, and, and have more control over, over our energy uses. And then uh, finally, the economics side is, uh, is there's been just incredible innovation that's taken place in green energy in the last several decades and the costs have fallen a ton, um, you know, by an order of magnitude. And, and so yes, there's governments are pushing for green energy, but it's, all, it's, it's actually also the private sector. It's companies that are making this shift even faster um, you know, than the governments in, in some in state, like some states are maybe a bit slower in terms of the public, um, but the private sector is uh, is really moving forward on this because it's already become, because it's becoming so cheap. Two things. Um, the, the first question is, you know, you mentioned sort of um, the idea of 
being in control of our own energy and not relying on oil from other countries or, or, or things of that nature. Um, don't the materials needed to make these products also come from other countries, right? Like don't, don't we still have to rely on other countries to source some of the materials to be able to produce the solar panels or, um, you know, the, the lithium ion batteries or, or things of that nature? Yeah, in terms, um, so, so I guess I'd say the, the fundamental difference to think of when thinking about fossil fuels versus green energy is that um, fossil fuels, you got to build the infrastructure at first, and then you need to keep supplying the fuel over like for the entire time that it exists compared to something like solar or wind, where you build the infrastructure, there is no fuel. It's free from then on. Uh, and, and so we, um, so, so with going with green energy, yes, there are some, uh, you, you're gonna have to get materials for that initial building of it, but then once it's done, you're free from all of those geopolitical constraints. Um, for example, the, the price of natural gas uh, and, and oil are extremely volatile, extremely volatile, it can, you know, can change, um, can, can really spike and dip quite quickly, where when you build a, a renewable energy farm or a, a wind farm, something like that, it's, it's going to um, be something that you can expect that those prices are going to stay the same over a long time, and you're not going to be influenced. Um, as for, but, but you're, you're right that it is an, an issue in terms of actually getting the, um, in terms of getting the minerals or the materials that are needed to build, um, to build the solar panels and that sort of thing. I'd say um, one, um, there's a lot of other, uh, these types of materials, we use them in everything basically now, especially in technology. Um, and, and so this is not a problem that is unique to renewable energy. But, um, but I would say that there is a need for more innovation to look for, uh, well, to, to increase the production of these materials in the United States, another, another way to bring things to the United States, as well uh, as look for alternative materials, um, uh, which, there, you know, there already is some, some research into, into that. Um, yeah. Okay, now my second question is um, just the act of, putting these wind farms or solar farms, for example, on the landscape. Um, is that green energy actually green? Uh, I know that obviously there's going to be less uh, pollutants in the air, uh, things of that nature. But, you know, in the case of like a solar farm, I look at the area needed of, for to put enough solar panels on to power a city. Um, that's going to drastically alter the landscape. Uh, so is it really green or is it just sort of pushing the impact from one area to another area? So uh, no individual technology is gonna be perfect. Um, nothing's gonna have zero environmental impact, but if you compare the environmental impact from fossil fuels to solar or wind, it's really not there, there's no comparison. I mean, it's, it, it's the environmental impact is much, much lower uh, in terms of, of um, yeah, particularly in terms of pollutants, which uh, are causing climate change, causing health problems, 
um, also in terms of, uh, you know, for example, water use in terms, you know, in terms of, in, um, in term, you know, obviously very relevant for conservation in terms of the risk of catastrophes such as, um, you know, like oil spills. Um, and, and um, but there are, yeah, so, so essentially if you look at like a life cycle analysis, um, you know, it, from the building and the use um, from cradle to grave of the two types of energy, um, from, from everything I've seen, there's really no comparison um, in, in, in uh, the, the environmental impacts of fossil fuels are just so much higher. Um, that being said, um, it, it is important to locate green energy installations in the right places um, and to um, and, and to account for those those small trade-offs, um, whether it's in um, you know whether it's impact on on species living in that area um, or or other things like that. But I mean, I just have to, yeah, I'd have to say, even if what you do care about it, you know, is, um, is wildlife conservation, um, climate change is such a going to have such a large impact on biodiversity, uh, you know, on the types of animals and plants that we're seeing far and away more than the uh, impacts of building of green energy. All right, so one thing we have to consider, right, is cost. Uh, everything costs money. Uh, you mentioned already that the cost of green energy uh, has come down quite a bit since it first started as all technology develops, right, and, and becomes more uh, sort of mainstream or the, the, the production of it gets uh, more efficient. The cost is always going to come down. But green energy still seems expensive. So how viable is it financially for uh, states and communities to try to make that switch from fossil fuel energy to more green energy? Um, so this has kind of happened in stages where um, as the costs of green energy have gone down, um, and also just to note, they've gone down for solar and wind. They really haven't gone down for nuclear or hydropower. And I think that's why people do talk a lot more about solar and wind in the future, because um, they, um, yeah, solar and wind are on something that's called a learning curve, where for, you know, for every amount of new energy that you deploy, that you build, um, the cost has gone down in, um, at a proportionate level. And this has happened over and over again. Like you've heard about this in technology, maybe as Moore's law. Well, it, you know, green energy, it's actually following a similar learning curve where the more that we build, the better we get at doing it, the more efficient we get at doing it and the lower the costs go. And this has happened uh, in, in an extremely predictable pattern and isn't expected to continue. And so um, in the, you know, in the mid 2000s, they, renewable energy actually, um, well, actually, no, sorry, in the mid 2010s, renewable energy um, has hit a, a crossover with coal. Um, and so it is now cheaper than coal. It's not yet cheaper than natural gas. Um, and so what we saw is we saw lots of shifting from, in the United States, from coal to you know, natural gas and renewable energy. And, and now it's actually approaching a tipping point with natural gas. 
um, and um, which should be happening, in my opinion, in the next few years. Uh, and, and so this is the, the when I'm talking about these, these costs, I'm talking about the costs to the electric utilities who are doing the installations here. Um, and, um, and yeah, so essentially if you look like, when, when I've looked at projections of costs going forward um, for the entire United States, those find that um, it'll actually, like the amount that you save on fuel costs, uh, the, yeah, it'll be a little bit more expensive, like the upfront costs to, to build this new renewable energy. Um, but the, the costs that you save on fuel will make up for it. So there's actually like coal plants running right now in many states that are propped up by subsidies. But if, if it wasn't there, those coal plants actually would it'd be cheaper to shut down the coal plant and to build and operate renewable energy than it would be just to keep it running. Um, so we can get into, you know, why that hasn't happened, you know, later on. But Well, um, you know what? But, no, yeah. let, let, let's get into that now. Like why I, I'm where I live is sort of like the outskirts of coal country. Um, so there are, you know, I can think of within an hour of my house, there's probably uh, five or six coal power plants around. Um, a couple of them have announced shutdowns uh, that they were going to be shutting down. And then uh, within a couple months announced that they were going to keep going for another couple months or whatever the case may be. Um, why, if it's if it is cheaper for these electric companies to build a new green energy uh, facility, uh, however that might look, than it is to continue running these coal power plants. Like why why haven't they made that shift yet? Yeah, well, um, the first point is that they have been making that shift. Um, I mean, if you look at the number, like the amount of electricity that coal provides now compared to um, to what it did 20 years ago, it's gone down quite a bit. If you look at the number of coal workers in the United States, um, there were 500,000 coal workers in the United States in the 1950s. Today, it's less than 100,000. So like this shift has already been happening and it has been happening because of these economics that, um, that I've mentioned um, and the workers, it's actually also because of labor efficiency gains. Um, but, um, but yeah, so, so it, it just is happening a little bit faster in some places than others is what I would say. But um, it's been this, you know, this um, a, a very difficult thing to go through for those communities that are dependent on coal, um, where, it, you know, slow erosion of the economic opportunities and a slow, um, and, and also an erosion of the ability to pay taxes, uh, like for the, for, I'm sorry, for the, the communities to actually receive taxes. And then, so they're often having financial issues as well. So like, this is, this is a really real concern. It's actually, it's not a concern that first started because of green energy. It, it that started much before um, the, um, I think that it's all, but it, the green energy has kind of elevated this issue um, to, to something we really need to be um, to be worried about. It's actually, yeah, but so, um, 
but um, in, in response to your question about why specifically, um, like why some utilities are still holding on, um, it, it's a very, like our, our utility system in, in the United States, like how it is all arranged is one of the, um, basically one of the least free market aspects of the entire US economy. Um, there, it is extremely regulated. And um, I think if it was more, more free market, this would be happening faster. But like utilities have locked in prices with state governments. They've locked in, um, they've locked in essentially like the way that they earn their money is, uh, is often not because of sales of their electricity. It's because they have arranged like this is the rate that we can charge. Uh, and this is the profit that we can earn um, because ba based on arrangements with the US government. And so some, some countries are, I'm sorry, not some countries, some states um, have been experimenting with changing this. Um, and, um, and instead of paying utilities based on like, you know, this, these, these new infrastructure that they've created and the rates that have been agreed upon, it's, it's much more based on their performance. And I think that's the right way to go. I'm not. I'm not an electricity sector expert, but um, but yeah, from what I've heard, that's um, it, it's it's a very complicated system with and with a lot of inefficiencies. I feel like a lot of those regulations probably stemmed out of the whole Enron scandal, right? Um, you know, the, there were some relaxed regulations, um, and then you know Enron took advantage of of a situation to make a whole bunch of money and create a house of cards. Um, so that, I feel like that might have a, a big impact on it. Yeah. You mentioned, I'm, no, go ahead. I, I was just going to say, I mean, part of it, I'm, I'm not really that familiar with, uh, with how that might affect it. Part of it is simply the nature of what a utility is because it just makes sense to, you don't want to like, it, in some cases it makes sense to have only one utility in a place. Um, like, because it's, it's sort of a natural monopoly. It doesn't make sense to have like five times as many wires as we have right now, so that five different. So, but it, it makes sense to have maybe the distribution of the energy be by like a monopoly, but, um, but the generation of the energy should be more distributed. It may be a little too technical, but uh, yeah. Yeah, no, that, I mean, that makes sense. I mean, electricity is really a, a basic need for people yeah, now, absolutely. right? It, it's something that, is I don't know that we would consider it a right officially, like legally, but it basically is. Like if you don't have electricity, um, you know, you are not going to be a productive member of society, you know, in the way that society is today. So if you would, you know, allow prices to fluctuate and be jacked up really high and some people couldn't get electricity, like obviously there's a lot of issues that could come from that. So yeah, I get that as well. Um, you mentioned the number of coal jobs have drastically, you know, declined. And, and you mentioned mm -hmm. some of it is naturally just by efficiency of, of workers and technology and things like that, but then also, you know, different ways to produce energy, you know, growing up in a family that had um, fossil fuel, had people that worked in the fossil fuel industry, right. In my family, um, I am aware of the impact that, you know, shutting down a coal power plant could have, mm -hmm. Um, that shutting down, you know, natural gas or, or even just, um, 
limiting the number of new wells that could be drilled or putting a, a total stop to new wells like that, that is going to have an impact on individual families uh, for people that work in those industries. So, I mean, when that happens, right, when we make this at some point, I'm sure we will make a full stop shift to green energy. Like when that happens, like what happens to these people whenever the industry that they have worked in for maybe 20 years, all of a sudden mm -hmm. their job's gone. How yeah. can we how, like, how can we ensure that those people still have a job, like still have a way to contribute and feed their families? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, first of all, these, this change to green energy and away from fossil fuels, like, I mean, yeah, we shouldn't be, um, you know, we shouldn't be slamming on fossil fuels because they have been the backbone of our economy for so long. They like built up the United States to what it is. We would not be as prosperous today as we were without fossil fuels. But we've now realized that there are these huge unintended side effects um, and that we should be moving away fr from them. Um, and, but yeah, I, I mean, it's fossil fuels that are the problem. It's not fossil fuel workers that are the problem, you know? So it's, it's extremely important to have a plan in place um, for as these transitions are happening. Um, and so it, it's, it's, I mean, this is gonna be a long-term transition um, in that it's gonna be between, you know, now and 2050 that we need to, next 30 years or so that we need to completely um, move to a zero emissions economy. Um, but some parts of that are gonna happen faster than others. Um, like coal, for example, I think will be part of the, the, the first to go where um, oil and gas, it's gonna be uh, kind of further down the road um, as, we, as we move away. But um, yeah, so for, for coal, it's, uh, it's really important to, um, it, to, to make sure that this is, yeah, that it's fair for coal workers. Um, and I, I'm seeing some states that are doing this pretty well. Um, for example, um, the Colorado, a big, you know, also a big coal producing state has put in place a just transition office to like to plan for it, put out a strategy for how are we actually going to support affected communities. Um, Illinois has also just put out, uh, they've uh, passed a new, new, uh, new law that is promoting clean energy and also includes funds to um, support the um, fossil fuel workers and communities. So yeah, it's going to require um, it's going to re require um, retraining. I think in many cases um, to new jobs. It's um, and and actually, so my own research has looked at um, at the number of jobs in clean energy versus the number of jobs in fossil fuels. And um, per million dollars that you invest, clean energy creates more than two times as many jobs as fossil fuels. Uh, so, and so there's actually going to be more jobs in energy in 2030, uh, in 2040 than there are today. Um, the, so that, that's actually really great news. Um, the, the less great news is that they're not, they're not always going to be located in the same places. Um, it, it could be, um, you know, it, it could be that the best place, you know, the best place for wind we're seeing so far is often in, in the Midwest. In, uh, I mean, you can put it, you can put wind energy basically anywhere, but it's going to be most efficient um, if it's on the plains. Um, likewise, in um, the, the Southwest is going to be the most efficient place for solar energy. Um, and, and we know that 
coal jobs are most likely to be in places like Pennsylvania and West Virginia and Colorado. So yeah, there's like uh, what this could this could require. Um, it, it could in, it, it could entail relocation support, um, like you know basically paying families to to move uh, if if they would like to. Like this is only if they would like to. Like no one should be forced to move to a new place. Um, um, I, yeah, I, I know I wouldn't like that. It's it, it, especially if you, if you have strong ties to that community. Um, so, um, but yeah, but for those people who actually do want to pursue opportunities in clean energy, I think um, retraining relocation support for those who like to stay in their own communities, I think that will require both the federal government and the state governments to invest in those communities to diversify their economies. It was always a, a very risky thing to have an entire, uh, you know, entire city or town's economy based on just one thing. Um, it's, it, the, you know, I'm, I'm, I know many people in fossil fuel communities are very familiar with this boom and bust cycles. Um, and by diversifying the economy, um, it's that that's basically the way, the, the, the way to, to essentially keep those communities strong. Um, and so there are in, already initiatives to do this. Like, for example, there's something called the power initiative in for Appalachia. Um, I can't remember what power stands for, but it's something, it's an acronym for something fun. Um, but they invest in different, like, you know, it's, it doesn't have to be clean energy that, that um, fossil fuel workers turn to. It doesn't need to be energy at all. There, you know, there's invest, they're in computer programming, in optometry, in just like any, any sort of, you know, odd types of, uh, you know, jobs you can, you could imagine as well as just, you know, construction and, you know, um, all, all sorts of, uh, all sorts of things. I mean, the, the, the technical skills that fossil fuel workers have, um, it might not directly translate to another, another job, but like the ability for them to learn those skills will. Um, so yeah, so I say that'd be, that'd be super important. Um, and, and I've also seen some analysis done that show, um, yeah, it really wouldn't cost very much for the government to do this sort of support, because like I said, the number of coal workers is, is actually not that high anymore. Um, but, um, to support those workers and those families, it would be incredibly affordable, just like a, a small, small fraction of what we pay for other important priorities like, um, you know, defense or education. I have seen firsthand the ramifications of a city focusing the majority of its economic status on one industry. Um, you know, Pittsburgh uh, is, you know, just down the road from where I live and, you know, was it, it's steel town, right? I mean, literally named a, a football team after an industry, right? And um, yeah. when the steel industry collapsed in the United States, Pittsburgh felt that very hard to the point where, I mean, really is still climbing out of, yeah. of that bankruptcy and, and everything that, that sort of happened. So, um, you know, yeah, I definitely, uh, I definitely see the issues that could come you know, for these communities that, you know, have that sort of sole focus on, on just coal or just gas or just oil that, that definitely diversifying would definitely help. Uh, yeah, with, we need to be honest, like that the US has not done a very good job of this in the past. Um, they, yeah, in, in many cases, as these economic transitions take place, there's been so many of them, um, whether it's from trade, whether it's from industries rising and falling, technology change, 
it the US has not done an adequate job and needs to do much, much better this time around and, and in any other future transitions. Uh, okay, so let, let's circle back. We talked about materials in the beginning, right? And, and how to source them and, and the cost and impacts and, and, and some stuff like that. One of the big concerns uh, is what do we do when the materials for green energy reach the end of their life, right? The, at some point, some of these materials are not going to be able to be utilized, right? Like lithium ion batteries only last so long. Um, wind turbine blades only last so long. Solar panels only last so long. And I, I feel like that's a viable concern because we've looked at, uh, we've lived through the impacts of what do we do with nuclear waste after it's reached its end of life? What do we do with the fly ash from burning coal? Um, how do we distribute, how do we, um, you know, get rid of it, but in a way that's not going to impact the environment, right? Um, and I see every time I go to my family's cabin, the impacts of a strip mine on, you know, local water sources and, and things of that nature. So um, when it comes to the disposal of these materials or recyclability of these materials, like, is that something that has been researched? Is that something we can do? What, what's the, what is the end goal hope? for these materials? Yeah, I can see that there has been a lot of research into this and a lot of solutions being proposed. Um, but um, I, I myself have not done enough research to answer this question um, adequately. Um, but um, yeah, I think, I think you're right to bring up the, um, uh, bring up these issues with strip mines and fly ash because, um, because that that is such a such a big impact. Um, I, I don't think that the impact of um, of solar panels or um, or wind turbines will be quite to that extent um, <clears throat> because um, we have well, I mean we, we we do have experience with recycling other types of technologies like our from our computers to our cell phones. Um, you know, I mean we've got, um, we've got systems where you can just, I mean, I go into, you know, the local Walmart and they have like a drop off for technology recycling. Um, and so it's going to have to, it'll have to be that sort of approach, but on a much, much bigger um, extent. Yeah. Okay, Joel, uh, let's end this with um, your pitch for why, it, let, let's look at it this way assume that I'm on the fence of supporting mm -hmm. green energy or continuing fossil fuel uh, energy production. Convince me, what, what is your go-to line uh, or reasoning for why we need to make this switch to, as you said, net zero energy production? Well, so people talk about how we like they say, oh, we can't afford to make this change. And I would flip that on its head and say that we can't afford not to make this change um, because the impacts of climate change that we're already seeing um, from droughts to increased intensity of hurricanes um, to, um, you know, to depressed economic growth from just extreme temperatures, um, these impacts which have become in recent years, very verifiable um, and 
attributable, like scientists have been able to actually attribute these to climate change. And I think that, um, that there's an increasing awareness of that. Um, this will only get worse if we don't act. There, uh, so, so, and it will only get more expensive if we don't act. Um, it'll be expensive as, um, you know, to, to deal with these disasters, expensive um, as fossil, because of fossil fuel um, volatility and, you know, ups and downs in prices and, um, and expensive as it actually, like, well, I mean, this is both an expensive, but it's also a security threat as it increases global instability, it's, you know, in countries uh, around the world that, uh, you know, increases climate, like people fleeing and migrating to new countries because of climate change. Uh, it, and I mean, it, yeah, it will become a security threat. And it's already actually acknowledged as a security threat by the, the US Department of Defense. Um, and that's been done in, you know, both Republican and Democratic administrations. So um, this is something that it, it sort of has to be done. Uh, and but what's really great about it is it's, it's actually going to increase our economy. It's going to increase the number of total jobs that we have across the economy. Yeah, there'll be there'll be shifts. But um, in in 2050, if we make this transition, we'll have reduced the impacts of climate change while actually also boosting the dynamism of our economy and boosting um, American innovation and American energy security as well as national security. I, I, that's good. That, that's sort of what I was looking for. Um, so I, Joe, I appreciate you coming on and talking about this. Um, you know, this can be uh, at times a little bit of a controversial topic um, as far as you know, extent and, and jobs and, and things of that nature. Um, thanks for giving us this sort of broad yeah. overlook. Uh, I really appreciate it. Thanks, Jason. That'll do it for today's episode. As always, thank you for listening. Thank you, Joel, for joining me. Uh, it was great to get a little bit of knowledge about green energy that I wasn't really aware of. Uh, I have to say, I can't tell you with 100% certainty this is the way to go. I can tell you with 100% certainty that climate change is negatively affecting wildlife and their habitats, right? Like there, there is a negative aspect to climate change. Green energy seems like a great way to go, but just as Joel said, not, there's not going to be a perfect energy source. We need to figure out what the best possible energy source is that we can utilize the, with the least amount of negative effects. Right now, it seems like solar and, and wind seem to be the way to go. I'm hoping that we find ways to make it more efficient. I'm hoping we find ways that it will impact wildlife less than it currently does when we do these large-scale operations. Um, you know, it's going to take a lot of innovation. And, you know, that's, that's one of the things that we do best as Americans. Should that innovation come directly just, you know, from private companies and corporations? Should it be incentivized by, you know, our governments uh, and world governments? I can't, I can't say one way or the other for sure. Uh, private companies don't have a great track record of doing things out of the goodness of their heart or for the betterment of the environment. 
but at the same time, government mandates typically have a lot of overreach. So that's a conclusion I'm going to leave up to you, the listener, to decide what will be the best option in, in that aspect. Until next week, do your best to be the best person you can for conservation. Get outside, take someone with you, and stay wild.